a brand new series today. Uh, I'm going to be preaching a series for the next three weeks, and we've called it Hope in the Dark. And we'll be talking about breaking the cycle of anxiety, depression, and fear in our lives. And I'm really, really excited about it because, you know, the thing is a lot of people struggle with this or have gone through struggles or, or struggle now. And, uh, you know, I'm just naive enough to believe that we don't have to surrender to it. I'm naive to believe that the Word of God tells us that, that there, is, there is power in the name of Jesus that can help deliver us from these, from these things that can weigh us down so often in our lives. And, you know, the thing is that, you know, God sent His Son, Jesus, to set us free from sin, and that's a wonderful thing, and that's the most important thing. But He didn't just come to set us free from the prison of sin. He came to set us free from anything that would imprison us. And how many of you know that anxiety and depression can feel like a prison? And I believe that over these next few weeks, people are going to get set free. And I'm excited about it. And we as a church are excited about it. And uh, we're really looking forward to it. So uh, in, in, as I begin here this morning, uh, I know you guys have been standing a good bit, but I'd like for you to stand with me. Just in honor of reading the Word of God, we're going to read the Word. Uh, I have a theme verse that we're going to have for the next three weeks. We're going to read every week. And uh, really powerful and I'm going to start with it this morning. It's, it's from the book of Philippians. This is the Apostle Paul's letter to the church in Philippi. And in chapter 4, verses 4 to 7, read with me. It says, Rejoice in the Lord. When? Always. I will say it again for those in the back row. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Everyone say, The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God. How many of you know there's no better peace than peace that comes from the Spirit of God? That peace that transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Can I get an amen? amen. Would you pray with me as we begin? Father God, we thank you for this day. Lord, we thank you for your word. We just submit today to your word, God. And I pray that your word would do the work that it is set out to do. I thank you that it's not going to return void. And I pray that you would do your work in our hearts, that you would prepare our hearts. And that, you, God, for those of us that are struggling with, with these things, Lord, that you would break us free. Would you help us to walk out of these prisons that we so often find ourselves sitting in, in anxiety and depression and fear and worry and doubt and hopelessness and despair. All these things, God. We pray that you would do your work, Holy Spirit. You are so welcome in this place. We ask you to come and have your way today. And we ask it in the mighty name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen, amen. amen. High five somebody and tell them the Lord is near before you sit down. <coughs> Praise God. So, you know, studies have shown that there's more anxiety and depression now than there's ever been since they've started documenting it. And that's very interesting to me. In fact, it says that uh, one in six Amer adult Americans are on some form of antidepressant or anti-anxiety medication. That's 40, 40 million, excuse me, 40 million American adults. And that also, they also say that the actual number of people that suffer is much, much higher, probably two to three times higher than that 40 million. The 40 million is just the people that are willing to actually talk to their GP and, and, uh, and get some medicine and, and try to get some help. That's a huge number. Uh, there's a study that was done last year that says that 70% of all teens say that anxiety and depression are a major issue among their peers. 70% of all teens in America. And another 26% of those teens 
say that anxiety and depression are a moderate concern among their peers. So if you do that simple math, that means 96% of teens, it's not even just teens actually, it was from the age of I think 12 to 24, 96% say that anxiety and depression are at least some concern among their peers. That is a huge number, church. When I read that, it actually really broke my heart that our teens are dealing with this on such a high level in our, in our country today. And many of you know people that have been touched by this and it has affected your life. I know just not, not a month ago, I think, a, a sophomore at Greenbrier uh, committed suicide. You know, suicide has gone up among teens over the last decade. It's gone up 56%. In a country where we're supposed to have all the conveniences of life and everything that we're doing is to make our life easier, yet anxiety and depression is skyrocketing in our culture. And that is something that as a church that we cannot just turn a blind eye to. It's something that we have to look at and, and, and ask ourselves the question, why is this happening? Because, you know, like I said, I'm naive enough to believe that the Bible is true, that we don't have to live in that prison. And, you know, I'm, I'm just going to give it a little disclaimer here. I, I'm, I'm not a doctor, in case you didn't know that. I'm not a doctor. I don't understand all the physiological aspects of depression and anxiety. And I know they're very, very real. In fact, if I could just be completely transparent with you for a minute... There was a season in my life where I was, I was on some medicine to help me. And my wife went through a season in her life where she was on some medicine too. And so there's no judgment here if you're taking medicine. You know, there have been a lot of great advances in medicine for mental health. And that's not to be discounted at all. But I'm not going to be talking about that because I don't really understand all that. But what I do understand is the spiritual side of it. I understand that there is a spiritual side to a, the vast majority of the depression and anxiety that we deal with. It's not completely spiritual, but there's a spiritual aspect to it. And that's what we're going to be talking about today and over the next few weeks. And the reason, is, the reason I know a little bit about it is because I know what the Word of God says. And I know if you look at Genesis, you can see that in the Garden of Eden, before the fall of man, before they ate the forbidden fruit, there was, there was no fear, there was no anxiety, there was no depression, there was no hopelessness. This was a utopia. This was paradise. They were walking and talking with God and having a good old time. And it even says that they were naked and they felt no shame. And so you know that, there was, that none of that was even existent. But then in Genesis 3, we made it, the human race made it all the way to the third chapter of the Bible before we messed it up. <laughs> and in Genesis 3, we see that Adam and Eve ate the fruit. And immediately after that, it says that God was walking through the garden looking for Adam. And Adam said, oh God, I was, I was hiding from you because I was afraid. Fear came in immediately. As soon as they sinned, sin came into the world and fear came in. And God said, he said, I was afraid because I was naked. And God said, well, who told you that? And God knew. God doesn't ask us questions he doesn't know the answer to, right? But he knew, God knew at that moment that sin came into the world, that so did fear, so did anxiety, so did depression, so did despair, so did hopelessness, so did worry, so did doubt. All those things came into the world at that moment. But praise God, the wheels were already set in motion for God to make a way for us. Amen? And that's what he did. And that's what was culminated in the beginning of the New Testament when Jesus came and paid the price for us to set us free. It was for freedom that Jesus set us free, no longer to be subject to a yoke of slavery. So that's how we're called to live. In fact, this is, this is a beautiful thing. God has actually made it to where anxiety in our life, and when I say anxiety, it's, it's talking about everything that that encompasses, whether it's depression, hopelessness, doubt, worry, fear, all those things, just whatever, however the anxiety manifests in our lives sometimes. But God can, has taken it to where that anxiety can actually be used and we can turn it for our good. 
I'll, I'll give a little brief illustration to kind of help me explain it. You know, my household, we have three vehicles now because my oldest daughter is driving. And um, when I added her to my insurance company, I, I almost felt the audible laugh from my insurance agent because they knew how much my premiums were going to go up. And they're laughing all the way to the bank now. God love them. And uh, in a couple of months, I'm going to have a fourth one driving. Uh, so at that point, I, I don't, you know, I don't know. I guess we're just going to have to go without some of the luxuries of life, like food and electricity and <laughs> things like that. Because <laughs> it's about to get real in our household. But, uh, but we have three vehicles. And, you know, most of the vehicles now, they have these sensors in the wheel wells at each tire that actually detects if your tire pressure is low. And if it is low, it, it sends a signal to a light on your dash that tells you that this tire pressure is low. Everybody has seen that in your car? And uh, I, I seem to see it all the time between our three vehicles. I, I guess we're just really gifted at picking up all the nails and screws on the street so none of you have to deal with them. And uh, it feels like it's just a constant thing. And it, you know, it just kind of brings that, it, it adds a little level of stress to your life and anxiety because you see that and you think, man, now I'm going to have to take the tire off. I got to go to the tire place. And of course, they're going to tell me that this tire can't be patched because it's on the sidewall and you're going to have to buy a tire. And if you're going to buy one, you might as well buy two. And if you're going to buy two, you might as well buy four. It just becomes a whole thing, you know. And, and um, I just feel like we're always dealing with it. And I get so frustrated sometimes when I see that light on my dash. But you know what? That light is not the issue. The light is something that's signaling to me that there is an issue. You know, if I want to just put a piece of tape over that light, I won't be able to see it, but it doesn't make the issue go away, right? And if I just drive around hoping that eventually the tires will reinflate, people might call me dumb, you know? But the light is not the issue. The light is a signal telling me that there's an issue somewhere else. And that is exactly what anxiety in our life is, church. Anxiety in our life is a signal that God uses to say something's off. Something needs to be refocused in your life. You know, we have anxiety over, you know, am I going to be able to pay my mortgage or is my health going to deteriorate or are my relationships going to work out or whatever. Those are not the real issue. Those are the signal. Those are the, the signals that are giving us anxiety saying you need to refocus. You need to refocus your life because in this area of your life, wherever this anxiety is, that means in that area, that is where you're not completely surrendered and trusting the Lord. Because there's always going to be things in life that can bring us anxiety, right, church? If you're going to get out of bed and actually go into the world and do what, you're, what you have to do every day, there will be things that will bring anxiety into your life every day. So the victory is not figuring out a way to not have any of those things in our life. The victory is finding out a way to have the perspective to use those things to cause us to zoom in on the Lord, to focus in on him and allow our focus to be him and not on those other things. So God actually will allow that anxiety in our life to cause us to refocus. And when we experience that, if you're experiencing it, if you're experiencing it today, it, God would be saying to you, something's off. I want you to refocus. I want you to look at this situation and look at it and say, how can God come into this situation and help me not to stress out about it? Now, ideally, we want this situation to change to where it's not a problem, but it doesn't always work that way, does it? Sometimes we have to ask God to give us perspective on the situation so that we're not anxious about it. And we need to believe God for that. God has made a way that anxiety can be used and turned around for our good, and he did that. He started that, that whole thing right at the moment that Adam and Eve fell. So my message today for this week is actually called, I've, I've entitled it, Avoiding the Traps, because there are a lot of traps in our life that we will fall into if we're not careful. And God would want us to avoid these traps because these traps will cause anxiety in our life. And I want to start with my first verse for, for this message, and it's from Luke 21. These are the words of Jesus, okay? 
in verse 34, chapter 21, verse 34. He says, be careful or your hearts will be weighed down with dissipation, drunkenness, and the anxieties of life. And that day will close on you unexpectedly like a trap. Everyone say like a trap. Now, when Jesus talks about something being a trap, I want to take notice because he doesn't say stuff flippantly. If he's saying that there's something that can be like a trap in your life, we need to look at that and say, okay, what, are, what is this? And what he's telling us is that we need to be careful because the anxieties of life will be a trap for us if we're not focused on him. He says the anxieties of life, that these things will actually weigh us down. That's such a great analogy that, that God uses here in the word of what anxiety is like in our life. You know, if, you, if you've dealt with it or you are dealing with it, you know, it can feel like literally like a weight on you, almost like you can't even stand up straight because you have this weight. You feel, you know, you've heard the term, I feel like I have the weight of the world on me. That's the term that comes through the, the stress and anxieties of life that will, that will get us like this. And even Jesus is saying this, it will do that to you. He's saying you have to be careful because these things will weigh you down. And he's telling us to look out for it. Because the anxieties of life are always going to be there. They're always going to be there, and they're always going to be trying to weigh us down. And you know, one of the most prevalent traps that the enemy will use in our life when it comes to anxiety is isolation. And I just want to touch on this just for a brief minute, because I feel like I would be remiss if I didn't, because, you know, the church is, is God's way of, of helping us to stay out of isolation. Because, you know, one of the enemy's biggest traps is isolation. That's what he does. He hunts us and tries to get us isolated away from the body because that's when we are the most vulnerable. And, you know, the thing about, for whatever reason, the thing about anxiety and depression and, and, um, and hopelessness and worry and fear, these are things that many of us, we struggle with alone. You know, we'll come to church, we'll put on a happy face and we'll say, praise God, and we'll say everything's good. And we go home and we suffer in silence or we suffer alone. And God would say, that's not what I've called you to do. That's the, it's one of the reasons we have church. This is not a place for us just to come together because we really like the singing and we really like the preaching. We come together because God's called us to live in community. And you know, we talk about connect groups and dream team and next steps. We talk about it all the time. And I'm telling you, we'll continue to talk about it all the time because we believe in it. Because we believe that that is what helps us to build community. And when we have community, we, can, we are stronger together. We can fight these battles together. We're not meant to fight them alone. In the name of Jesus, we are meant to come together in community because we are stronger together. All right? So let me give you, I want to give you three keys to avoiding the traps of the enemy today, okay? And the first one, I just entitled it First Things First. Now I'm going to explain it here in a second, but I'm going to read a, a lengthy passage here of Scripture from, from Jesus, from the Sermon on the Mount. And it is lengthy, but I want you to follow along because it's worth it. It's really good. It's from Matthew 6, verses 25 to 34. Jesus said, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his glory was arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, 
Do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Now here we go. This is one of the most important verses in all the Bible. He says, but seek first. Everyone say, seek first. The kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Can I get an amen? amen? Now listen, I'm about to drop a little truth bomb on you here. Oftentimes, the anxiety that we deal with in our life, whatever area of your life you're dealing with it, most times that is an area where you have not put Jesus and his kingdom first. It's just Jesus, in that passage, he talks about don't be anxious. He mentions it multiple times. And then he gives the way to not be anxious. He says, seek first my kingdom, seek first my righteousness, and all these other things will be added to you. You won't have to be anxious because you'll be able to trust me if you're seeking me first. Because when we seek him first, he gives us perspective, doesn't he? When we seek him and his will and his purpose for our life, he gives us perspective. In fact, just a little earlier in this chapter is where Jesus gives us the Lord's Prayer, where he tells us, hey, if you want to know how to pray, Pastor Bowen taught on this over the last few weeks. He said, if you want to know how to pray, here's how you pray. Pray that my kingdom would come and pray that my will would be done on earth. And I'm going to take it another step further in your life, just as it is in heaven. Jesus is telling us like, this is one of the keys to dealing with anxiety in our life is to put him first. And if we have anxiety that's overwhelming us and you know, there's, there's that anxiety that comes sometimes it just comes in waves and we kind of deal with it. But when it really gets to where it's weighing you down and you just can't seem to get a, get, get out from under it. Or, or if you do, it just cycles back around all the time. You just live in this perpetual cycle. If, if that's where you're at, then that's an area that I can confidently say you most likely have not surrendered it to the Lord. And you have not put him first in that area in your life. You know, I'm going to go back to the car. It's like the car. You know, so oftentimes we as believers, and I'm not pointing fingers because we all do this because we're human beings, but we can, we can focus on making sure the car is nice and clean and the tires are, are, are nice and new and the wheels are shiny and the inside's vacuumed and everything looks good. But if there's no gas in the car, if we forget what's first, the car is kind of worthless if it doesn't have any gas in it, right? And we can do that in our Christian life sometimes. We can focus on cleaning up some of the stuff and polishing up some of the stuff and making sure things look good, but we're not really dealing with the fact that Jesus is pretty much, he's basically commanding us, hey, I've got to be first. You've got to seek, seek my kingdom first. You've got to seek my righteousness first. Because if you don't, you're doing it backwards and you're going to constantly just be in that cycle. You're going to be in that cycle all the time. And God's saying you don't have to live in that cycle. But I can tell you that God does not want to be our co-pilot. You know, I've seen the bumper sticker, God's my co-pilot. And I know the intent behind that's probably good, but it makes me cringe every time I see it because Jesus is not going to be nobody's co-pilot. If he's in it, he's leading it. And you're all the way in the back as far as, you, as I'm concerned. I, I'm, I'm fine to sit on the tail if Jesus is driving. And he says, if I'm going to come in, I've got to be first. Because if I'm not, you're missing it. You're missing it. And we just continually, perpetually struggle with the things we struggle with because we're just not willing to give him first place. And it is impossible for us to stay anxious about something. It's virtually impossible for us to stay anxious about something if we've really given him first place in it. And conversely, if we won't give him first place, it's almost impossible for us to not deal with the anxiety that would come from not giving him first place. Okay, so the second one, 
is humility. Nothing but nothing but nothing will keep us more in that cycle of anxiety in our life more than pride. Nothing. Pride is a killer in the Christian's life, and we have to deal aggressively with it because pride deals aggressively with us. Pride is a very, very aggressive spirit, church. Very aggressive. And I'm sure you've probably felt it at times where, you know, you, you did something and you did it well and something worked out real well for you or you could find some success in something and all of a sudden you start feeling yourself, feeling like, oh man, I'm really, I'm something, you know? I'm pretty stinking good. And you start thinking other people aren't as good as you and, and you just, you could feel it. I mean, I know I'm not the only one. We all do it. Whatever area God has gifted you, sometimes you work in that gifting and all of a sudden you start feeling like, wow, man, God was smart to give me that gift, you know? And that, that pride just wells up and you start to think, oh my goodness, what am I doing, you know? I mean, I've, I've said this before from this stage that, you know, when, when I, was, I was a builder, I had a building company for a while and I went through a season in my company where everything I did just worked. It just went well and, and Joy and I were praying through everything. We were, we were giving a lot. We were dedicating so much. Everything we were doing was for the Lord and we even named our company in a way that it would honor God. And everything we were doing and God started blessing it. And all of a sudden, I remember one day just starting to feel like, yeah, I'm really something. I really got this thing figured out. I'm amazing. And I, I remember the thought coming into my head and, and it was like I had this out of body experience almost. And I was looking down at myself going, you dummy, what are you doing? The only reason anything good is happening is because of the Lord, you know? And I, I just felt that pride well up. And, you know, we had to respond very aggressively when, when I started feeling that way. And we did. And I praise God for it. But, you know, that pride will just well up in us. But the pride that I, I'm talking about today is not necessarily this overt arrogance, you know, where you strut around thinking you're better than everybody else. Because most of us, if we're Christians, we know that that's not the right way to feel, you know. And we don't, we don't entertain that. We don't embrace that. The pride I'm talking about is the pride that says, God, I don't need you in this area. Or I just don't want you in this area. I don't want you touching this area, whether it comes to my relationships or my finances or my job or my schedule. I don't want you in this area because I know if I let you in this area, it's gonna, you're going to mess it up. You're going to do it your way, and I want to do it my way. That's the pride I'm talking about. It's much more covert. It's much more, it's, it's a lack of dependence on God in an area in our life. This is the pride that will kill us and will cause anxiety in our life. And, and what it boils down to is it's a lack of fear of God. You know, Proverbs 9.10 says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And that's not a fear where we're shaking in our boots and we're scared to death of God. It's a reverence. It is an understanding of our need for him. That's what that fear is. That's what God has called us to. He's saying, you need to understand how great I am in comparison to you. And, and coming to God saying, God, you're, you're everything. I need you for my breath. I need you to be able to get out of bed in the morning. I need you to be able to do everything I do to put the next step in front of the other. I need, there's nothing in my life where I don't need you. That's what the fear of the Lord is. And here's the beauty of it, church. And this is something we don't think about very often. We forget if you fear God, if you truly fear God, you don't have to fear anything else. There's nothing else in this world that you have to fear if you fear God. And if, you, if you've given him residence in every area of your life. Now there's areas, you know, we would all say there's areas where, yeah, God's, you know, I, I trust the Lord in this area. But there, for all of us, there's, there's some little sacred cow over here that we just don't really let him touch. We want to, we just don't, we haven't really got to that place where we're just ready to let him touch that place. And that's usually nine times out of 10, that's where your anxiety is. Because if it's an area where you trust him 
he, you can't be anxious about it. There's, there's no place for anxiety because anxiety comes from a place of feeling like, I've got to figure this out. I've got to do it. It's about me. It's me, me, me. Anxiety is always us. And if you're laying it down, you're trusting the Lord, there's no place for it. But the opposite's true too. If we're holding on to it, there's nothing we can do to really get rid of it. And I love how that verse says, the, the, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The great thing about wisdom is that the more wisdom you get in your life, the more anxiety seems to go away. Because how many of you know a lot of the anxiety we have in life is because of choices we made that where we didn't use wisdom, right? I mean, I, I'm just in my mid-40s, but I can tell you, I have seen how as the Lord gives me more and more wisdom as my years go by, that the anxiety gets less and less and less as I, as I embrace that wisdom, as I embrace the fear of the Lord, that wisdom that he gives me. Because that wisdom will keep you from making a lot of those decisions that will eventually down the road bring that anxiety. So we need to be asking God for that wisdom. And God says, well, if you want wisdom, here's the way you do it. You fear me. You reverence me. You give me what is due me. And, and that will be the beginning of the wisdom in your life, which will keep you from a lot of the anxiety that comes down the road from those decisions we've made. Look at 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 7. I'm sorry, verses 6 and 7. Peter says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty right hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Remember how we talked about weight, the weight of the world that Jesus talked about that weighs us down? Look what Peter says there. He says, humble yourself under God's mighty, mighty hand that he may lift you up. So as we humble ourselves before God, that weight is gone and God lifts us up in due time. That's pretty powerful. And he says, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. That casting of anxiety, that is a complete transfer. That's saying it's no longer mine, it is now your responsibility. You know, I, I, I gave the illustration in the first service about like, if you ever babysat, you know, you get, you get a baby and you get to babysit this baby and for the first little bit it's great because it smells so nice and fresh and clean and then all of a sudden it starts getting fussy and it fills a diaper and it's not so fun anymore and you can't wait till the parents get back and when the parents get back, you are more than happy to say, there you go, I'm out, I'm going to bed, you know? We love that. We love to transfer that responsibility back to the parent after we've had our hour fill or so of, of holding that baby, right? Well, that, that's, what Jesus, that's what Peter's saying here. We need to cast that anxiety. We need to completely transfer it. He's actually referring to like the nets. You know, back in Jesus' day when they fished, they, they threw nets out in the water and they cast their nets. They chuck them out in the water. Now, that's a terrible illustration about the baby. We don't chuck a baby, but we, we, we chuck a net, Okay. But we completely transfer that net into the water so that there's no part of it left on the boat because we want it to be able to catch as many fish as possible. And, and Peter is saying here, we cast all of our anxieties on him. We trust him. We give it all to him. And if we do that, we can know that he will take care of those situations for us. Because this is the thing. How many of you know the Bible is very intentional, right? Every word in the Bible is intentional. There's no words in there that are just thrown in there for fillers, okay? The order of how things are written is also intentional. And if you'll notice in this verse, he says, first, he says to humble yourself. He says, humble yourself before the Lord. And then he says, cast your anxiety. Why do you think he did it that way and not the other way? Well, if you look at the verse right before this verse, in verse 5, he actually said that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So what God is saying here through Peter he is saying, if you want to be able to cast your anxieties on me, if you really want to be able to give them to me, there's a prerequisite. We have to humble ourselves before him. 
because it says that he opposes the proud. So if we're not humble, he's opposing us. And I know some of us would like to get into grace and say, oh, God's grace is just so good. We just pray. We just, we just quote that verse, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. We stand on it. We believe it. And it's good. And I say, no, no, no. Because it's very clear here that he says God opposes the proud. Church, this is New Testament. This is an Old Testament. This is after Jesus came, died, resurrected. The new covenant, we're in it, we're under it. And Peter is saying, if you don't humble yourself before the Lord, you cannot cast your anxieties on him. It's really that crystal clear. And we would want to skip over it and say, oh God, I want to take my anxieties. I want to give them to you. I want you to take them from me. And God's saying, you need to humble yourself. You need to humble yourself before me. There's areas of your life you're not even willing to give me. You want me to fix this area, but you're not even willing to give it to me. And he says, you got to give it to me if you want me to fix it. Church, that's truth. That's from the word of God. I'm not making that up. That's here. Okay? We got to get out of this mindset that we could just pray the one verse here and think that it's okay. We have to look at it in the context and see that God's saying, uh-uh, humble yourself. It's not okay for us as believers to walk around with, with pride saying, I'm going to do things on my own, and if I need help and I get in a pinch, I'm going to call on my God, and he's going to do it because I go to church and I give 20 bucks in the offering. No, no, no. Okay? It's about humbling ourselves before him and saying, God, I need you for everything I am. Salvation is about living every part of us for him. It's about laying down our life. He says, if you don't take up your cross and follow me, you're not worthy of me. He's saying, I want everything. But the beauty of it is, is that when we give him everything, we realize, wow, we should have done this a long time ago. Because he's that really that good. He's really that great. He loves us that much. But he's saying, I won't compromise who I am to, to do what you want me to do if you're not willing to do what I've asked you to do. Okay, so we have to humble ourselves before him. But it's so, so worth it. All right, and then last, thirdly, is rejoice. This is, this is a way to avoid the trap of the enemy is to rejoice. I want to take you back to my theme verse for the day, for the, for the month. It's actually it's in Philippians 4. I'm going to read it again, verses 4 to 7. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your evidence be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Again, here we go again, guys. The Bible is intentional, okay? There is an order, there's a progression to what the Apostle Paul is saying here. And I'm going to tell you, Paul wrote this from a prison cell in Rome, okay? And so he has some authority here to be able to say what we should be doing in our life. And he starts by saying, rejoice. He says, rejoice. Paul's in a prison cell and he's saying, I'm sure he's preaching to himself too. He was encouraging himself. The Bible tells us we should encourage ourselves in the Lord too. So he's saying, he's telling himself and the Philippians, hey, rejoice. Start by just rejoicing. And you may say, well, you know what? I don't have anything to rejoice for about. And I would say, oh, yes, you do. Oh, yes, you do. If you're, if you're a Christian, you absolutely have something to rejoice in. The fact that Jesus saved you and pulled you out of the miry pit and put your feet on solid ground and you're going to be with him one day in the great by and by and that this life, you know, the Bible tells us if all we have hope for is in this life, we're to be pitied. So if nothing else, we have something to rejoice about is that we're going to be with him. And that this is just the preamble. This is the preface. This is the, this is the starting gate for us, right? So we always have something to rejoice about. And if you're, if you're not a follower of Jesus, then you might be right. You might not have anything to rejoice about because there, there's not much in this world to rejoice about because it's all fleeting and falling away. 
But let me take that opportunity to just tell you today, if you are here today and you're not a believer, you're not a follower of Jesus, please, please don't leave this place today without repenting of your sins and asking him to come into your life because it's the best decision you'll ever make. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. We're not guaranteed this afternoon. But he is so, so good. And he, he has made a way. He's not a respecter of persons. The Bible says that all that call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And he's good. So I, I, that would give you something to rejoice about no matter what you're dealing with today. So don't leave this place without giving your life to him if you don't know him as your Lord and Savior yet. But we all have that to rejoice about, the fact of who he is and what he's done for us. And he's telling us, rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. And you know, the opposite of rejoice that I would say, I don't know if it's genuinely the opposite, but one of the opposites of it is to complain. And this is something we as Christians are really, really good at, aren't we? We, we, we are really good at spiritual complaining. I don't even know if that's a thing. I just kind of made it up, but we can complain and make it sound spiritual, you know? And you know, when I, when I, the way I describe complaining is, uh, is something similar to like when you eat something sweet. Like I, if I had a vice, it would be sweets. I can resist just about anything else. But when it comes to, I mean, if you put a Krispy Kreme donut in front of my face, you're gonna have to tie my hands behind my back. And even then, I think I've still figured out a way to get it in my mouth. And you know, but the thing about it is it's so good when you just, when you're eating it, you know, it's like a party in your mouth. Everything feels good. The world's good. Everything's fine, you know, but that's the only moment of eating something like that. That's good because everything else, the, 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 the fruit from that is not good. You know, the sugar, sugar, what it does actually takes energy from you. It adds calories and weight gain and all these things. The only good part is when you're actually eating it. And it's the same thing with complaining. The only good time, the only good part of complaining is actually when you're doing it, it feels good to vent that out and talk about the things that are wrong. And especially if you're talking to somebody with a sympathetic ear and they're really engaged, you start to feel really good because you're complaining. But the fruit from that is always bad. Always. Yet we would choose so oftentimes to complain rather than to rejoice. And, you know, Paul's not saying rejoice about the bad things that are happening. He's saying rejoice in spite of those things. We don't have to rejoice by the fact that I'm losing my job in two weeks. You know, but we rejoice because God's good and we know that this is an opportunity that he's going to take care of us. You know, there's always something for us to rejoice about. So he's saying that's the first thing we got to do is rejoice. And then next, he actually says to let your gentleness be evident to all, which I think is very interesting that he nestled that into that verse. He's saying, you know, this is something else that we as believers, we should be the most gentle people in all the world. And I'm telling you, some of us really need to, to hear this. We need a dose of this because sometimes we feel like uh, gentleness is something just for a certain personality type. But Paul's saying, let all of our gentleness be evident to all. We should be gentle when we deal with people of the faith and people in the world. We should be gentle. And then he says to pray, but he says to pray with thanksgiving, not complaining. He says, be very intentional that we pray and we're thankful in our praying. And then he says, the peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. How oftentimes do we want to just quote that verse? We just want to quote that verse in the midst of our complaining attitude, our complaining heart. We want to say, God, I pray that your peace would guard my heart. I tell you again, I think God would take us back. He'd say, well, you need to go back a couple verses. Go back. I want you to rejoice. I want you, when you pray, I want you to pray with thanksgiving. I want, when you present your request to me, I want you to do it in thanksgiving. The Bible says to enter his gates with thanksgiving. When we come into the presence of God, we do it with thankfulness because, oh, I don't know, because we're nobody and we get to come into the presence of the creator of the universe. That's a pretty big deal. 
right? That's a pretty good reason to be thankful. It's the fact that, you know, before Jesus came, we had a priest that had to do it. And he only did it once a year. And they had to tie a rope around his waist when he went into the presence of God. In case he did something dumb and died, they couldn't even go in to get him. They had to pull him out with a rope, you know? And now the Bible says we can come boldly to the throne room of grace, boldly into his presence because of what Jesus did. I, that's enough reason to be thankful right there. I'm just thankful I get, I get an audience with the king, you know, when, when, if we could get an audience with the president or somebody, you know, really important that you think could help your situation, you'd be excited just by the fact that you got an audience with them. We've got an audience with them now all the time. Paul said the Lord is near. He's here with us. Amen. So we can always be thankful. So let's not skip over those things and not allow, uh, and not be thankful and excuse me, and not rejoicing before we get the peace of God that goes against all understanding. So those are three traps that I believe the enemy would want to put in our life, the, not having Jesus first in these areas, humility and rejoicing. And I believe if we do those, those will give us, we, but those aren't one-time things, church. We don't just do that one time and hope God fixes our situation then we go about our merry way. This is living a lifestyle of rejoicing and walking in humility and keeping him first in our lives. Amen? Well, my time is up, so I'm going to ask you to stand with me because we do want to pray this morning or this afternoon. I want to pray for all of us first, but then after that, when we dismiss, we are going to have prayer leaders up here. If you want somebody to pray for you, maybe you're dealing with one of these things we're talking about today, or it could be something, maybe it's something else. We'll pray for you for anything, but I do want to give you that opportunity this afternoon. If you want prayer, there will be prayer leaders up here as we dismiss, uh, but I want to pray over all of us because I believe this is something that if you're not, if it's not touching your life now, chances are it's touching somebody's life that you're close to. And it may touch you in the future too. So let's just pray and ask the Lord to, to be present and to help us in this in our life. So if you pray with me, God, we thank you today for who you are. We thank you for your word, that it is truth and it is life to all who will partake of it. God, we trust you today. I pray, Lord, that anybody in this house that's, that's dealing with the weight and feeling weighed down by the anxieties of life, Lord, I pray that you'd break that off of them today in the name of Jesus. Lord, we come against it by the power and the blood of the Lamb. We don't come in our own power and our own might. We come in the power of the Lord our God. And we pray, Lord, that you do your work in our lives. Help us to surrender our lives to you, the areas, Lord, that we have kept from you, that we have said, no, Lord, you can't touch this area, God. I pray that you would help us to be able to let go and allow you to come into those areas. I pray that you would help us to humble ourselves before you, to see our need for you, God, on a greater level. Lord, we know we need you, but we want to see how we need you in every area of our life, in every part of our life, every aspect, every second of every day. And God, would you help us to choose to rejoice in every situation, in every situation that we would rejoice because of who you are, because we know that we're yours. And Lord, in that, I pray that you would help us to walk out of these prisons. I thank you that you came to set us free, Jesus. We receive that freedom today. We receive the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives to do a life-changing work in each one of us. If that's you today, church, would you just raise your hands and just receive it today? If you're comfortable with that, God, we need you. We trust you. We love you, Lord. We need you so desperately, God. Holy Spirit, come. Come into our lives. Have your way. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done in our lives. For your glory, Lord, this is all about you. We want you to take the driver's seat. We'll come along for the ride, Lord, because you know so much better than we do. We trust you in that, God. And we
give you all the praise and all the glory and all the honor in the mighty name of